Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 85, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. We'll tell you the nine things the U.S. education system could do to be more competitive. And a new study says there's a correlation with child abuse and report cards going home on the weekends. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we're talking to Dr. Jordan Shapiro, who says we need to embrace smartphones and social media with our children. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt. Lissa, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, Russ has the uh, evening off. Uh, how are things going for you at school this week? Pretty good. Yeah? Okay. Good, good, good. Remember last week we were talking about the um, the Reddit thread? Oh, yeah. And I promised that uh, I would continue to read some of these funny <laughs> answers. So just if, if you missed last week's episode, um, there was this anonymous Reddit thread where they asked um, teachers, what is the one thing that you want your students to know that you would never tell them in person? And they asked high school teachers specifically, I should say that. Um, so uh, there's been some pretty funny answers, but uh, I like to ask Lissa, like, do you believe this? Like, does this happen? Do teachers think this way? So starting off, when you run into a student, it's just as weird as me, run into a student outside of school. It's just as weird for me as it is for you when we bump into each other in public. Is that the way you feel? <laughs> no, I get so excited when I see my students. I go Now, you know who it's weird for is their parents. Because yeah, like this yeah. happened to me this weekend. I saw one of my little students and I was like, hey, Cannon. And I go up and yeah. give him a hug. And he's and like, like, who is that hey. strange lady? And like the mother is like yeah. getting the mace out, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm his art teacher, you know. And of yeah. course, then, then the parents feel bad. Right, because they, they don't know, know who I am. Because right, yeah, yeah. I was clearly there right. on Meet the Teacher Night. You just didn't come by my room. <laughs> right. That's too funny. So, yeah. But I do think sometimes, especially if you see, I remember when I was a, a younger teacher and I would have like a a beer, you know, watching a playoff game and my student walked in with their family. Right. And I could see, you know, that it's awkward. It's awkward right. both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, next one. A lot of us drink, smoke, and sleep around more than you do. <laughs> and hearing you try to hide it as if it's something we wouldn't know about is richly ironic. Okay, that's clearly from a high school teacher. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> okay, no, no comment on that one. Uh, yes, I do have favorite students. No, I won't tell you who they are because that would discourage you. But yes, they're probably who you imagine them to be. Is this true? <laughs> I do think teachers have students that, you know, make them feel appreciated. Yeah. And those are their favorite students. It's, okay. It has nothing to do with how, how you look. You could write Where a little blog post from? on how to brown nose a teacher. <laughs> properly. Well, I mean, I think how to brown nose a teacher is how to brown nose anyone. If yeah, you're interested true. in the person that you're talking to, right. if you take an interest in what they're saying and what they're doing, and if you show that you appreciate the time they took with you, whether that's a first time date or if it's your teacher, it, it works. You know, it makes them feel appreciated. You're not going to be YouTube famous. Sit down and listen. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh. We'll, we'll end it there. I don't That's know. That's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, teacher's lounge. What do you know? Okay. This is from weareteachers.com. Mm-hmm. And I sent this to you because I liked it. Right. And I sent because it back to you. Right. And, and like, you sent it back to me and said, hey, we, should do, we should do this. Oh, yeah. good idea. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So nine things teachers need if the United States ever wants another globally competitive generation. Okay. So, like, we better change or else we're going to... We seem to have trouble changing lately. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, number one, make teaching attractive to attract more talented teachers. Don't lower the bar. So, of course, it goes on to speak about how, you know, mm-hmm. better pay, you know, um, incentives, better health care, things like that. But if we, you know, we have so many people in the field right now that are not trained teachers, they're not highly qualified, they're not creative teachers... They're not doing it for the real reason, which is it is not their life calling. And so, you know, we got to we got to attract those people and lowering the bar just attracts more of who we're having that are, you know, subbing in those classes. Number two, smaller class sizes. And just because you have a smaller class size, if you don't have a properly trained teacher in there, it, do, it doesn't matter if you have this 20 kids. Yeah. So go, so see number one. Okay. Okay. Right. Number, yeah, number three, three. Right. <laughs> number three, shared accountability with parents, teachers, and students. This is huge. This means we, we, every teacher right now listening is like, yes, because there, there's been a shift and it's terrible and it's ugly. I think, I feel like this and, one really hits home for you. Oh, you always get worked up about this. It's just, because well, it's go. just, it's. You know what? And it doesn't hit home for me personally as much as a teacher, but I hear it from colleagues and I'm always like, why would someone complain about her? She is such a good teacher, you know? Yeah. But parents have got to understand that if there is something separating their child from greatness, whose job is it to help their child overcome that? Yeah. If it's not the teacher's job. Yes, it's the parent's job too. Yeah. But how is a teacher not allowed to tell you if there's an issue or a problem, whether right. it be academic? You're only fooling yourself. Or whether it be yeah. behavioral. But that is separating them from greatness. Yeah. And we're all in this together, people. Like, yeah. And so there's been this shift of, you know, thinking that, you know, my child's perfect. You you go, you stay in your lane. You do your job at school and I do my job at home. But you're not doing your job at home. Yeah. We're not all working together. And that's a problem. That's yeah. There needs to be more accountability on parents and what they're not doing. They're not enforcing homework. They're not enforcing studying. I mean, I had a child say to me just the other day, I don't care about art. And my mom said, I don't have to do this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and so, yeah. of course, what do I say in front of the class? Hey, hey, guys, hey, guys, it's never going to be okay at any point in your life when yeah. you're invested and involved in something to do nothing. Right. And you're invested and involved in school right now. So it's never going to be okay to do nothing. And when you're a mother or a father, it's never going to be okay to do nothing with your child. Right. You know, I mean, at, at no point is it going to be okay to just say, I'm here at my at my job, but I'm going to do nothing because I don't want to. Whenever my son's playing Fortnite, um, <laughs> I always treat him like, like one of those overzealous like sports dads. Like he'll like get killed in Fortnite and I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm going to cut back on your Fortnite time if you're not going to start taking this seriously. <laughs> but it's like kind of the joke, ongoing joke that we have. Like if if we were all that serious about math oh, homework. I know. Right. If I, I treated them like that about math, like seriously, like what are you doing? Right. Get your math homework done, you know? I mean, we'd probably all be in a better place. Right. But like kids come to school and say, 
I didn't study for my test because I had dance or I had baseball or I had, you know, and it's like, "Mm," you know, new. So anyway, that's number three. Number four, support and respect from the public. The old proverb states, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. That's deep. This, this is, I have this on my street. There are, you know, when we have things come up for a, a small tax increase that will go towards you know local schools or whatever the 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 neighbors whose children are grown yeah, say like, mm-hmm, no i don't have a child in school Oops. no 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 yeah. if we don't all realize that whether you have a child in that school or not and 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 or you'll hear parents say well my child goes to a private school so i don't care but what happens is we're dumbing down society we are watering it i'll down. make a quick comment on that like you can talk about like paying for a tax increase you know for school and housing and stuff if you go to like realtor.com now you can now search by school district mm-hmm. so like there's your sign exactly. like the fact that like it really does right. affect if your you, home value right exactly you if know? you want to be in the good school district which makes your house more valuable right. then pay up right yeah so so we need we don't need people to think that they have nothing to do with education because their child or not their children are not in school anymore right. yeah. number five we need lawmakers who treat education as seriously as security Mm-hmm. End of story. Yep. Number six, listen to what educators are saying about issues like longer recess, like play-based learning, like mm-hmm. more arts education. All of this is backed by research. So listen to the experts in their field and yeah. and make changes based on that. I mean, because it's it's showing that's in the classroom. That's a good list. That's a, that's a really good list. I'm not done. Number oh, seven. Well, we're just getting started. My bad. <laughs> Number seven, highly qualified administrators. I do think this is a big one. A school is, is only as good as its leadership. And I think there's lots of teachers that can say they've worked at one place versus another, and it's very similar places, Yeah. but night and day difference based on who is at the front of the line. What and do you so, think? This, that, this is a really interesting thought. What is the one thing a principal can do that has the greatest impact? And that You may have to think about it. But. Make you want to please them. Please like, who? Who's them? The, the administrator. Like, okay. if you feel like nothing you ever do is even ever noticed or good enough, right. then you, you you do. You start to just feel you, you're not getting accolades from the parents. You know, yeah. you're not getting it in the in the checking account. Right. And so then if you have an administrator that hardly notices or cares, yeah. then, okay. yeah, you, you need someone that, that shows that they care. I have I have an excellent administrator. Yeah, does he listen to the podcast? Yeah, he does. Okay, well played. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Number eight, school facilities that reflect that the people within the walls actually matter. And this is talking about things like, um, you know, if you have broken windows and burnout light bulbs and dingy facilities, like yeah. take take spend some money to fix those things because you're showing immediately that you don't care Yeah. by just the structures. And the last one, which is interesting, number nine, counselors more more counselors. counselors and free up their time you know a lot of counselors now especially at the high school level yeah they mainly handle college connection right and making sure that students have their congregate units and things like that and so they are not counseling that's not you know they're, yeah. they're scheduling they're not counseling yeah i think that, that has changed say, over the years huh yep and yeah. what else has changed over the years mental health is a topic that's not going away and it's going to get right. louder and louder yeah and we need quality staff in those upper positions to be able to counsel these children that are coming from these homes where yeah. They're not getting noticed. Do you and, remember like your counselor conversations 
in school, like <laughs> as a student. Like I, I clearly remember mine. I clearly like remember them like probing me. That's funny. Um, I, I wet my pants in second grade because I couldn't get my overalls undone. Wow. In time. Okay. Well, it's just a time right. issue, and yeah. it scarred me for life. And I <laughs> the little buckle. Like, I couldn't get it undone. Oh, I, and I was panicking. And there was a girl next to me in the stall named Candace, and she, I guess, heard me just struggling wow. and going, "Oh no, oh no!" And then finally. She runs out, and I hear her in the hall say, Lissa wet her pants, and I wanted to die. Well, anyway, I would not come out of- second grade. Yeah, second grade. And I would not, (laughs) it was overalls, okay? And I would not come out of the bathroom, and I remember the school counselor finally had to come in there, because they had called my mom to come give me a change of clothes. Yeah. Which I'm sure she was like, that'll be in five hours. Yeah, your mom's (laughs) like, I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) But but the counselor had to come in there and talk to me. And through the door, she talked to me through the door. I would not, you know, come out. I was so, so horrified. And she had to tell me all these different things to, you know, to just make me realize that tomorrow was a new day. And I'll never forget that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So you felt like she did a great job. A great job. Of handling the situation. And. Let me let me just say, yeah. she also went and talked to Candace right. about how yeah. that wasn't very thoughtful yeah, of that's Candace. Good. Did, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in movies of all time, and maybe I'll even insert a clip, is when Billy Madison. <sighs> I uh, think of it. It makes me go back to second right. grade. Right. And yeah. for those that haven't seen it, uh, Adam Sandler is <laughs> in, in second grade or third grade or whatever grade he's retaking as an adult. And this kid wets his pants, and then he, like, splashes water on his pants. He's like, it's cool to pee in your pants. Hey, look, everybody. Billy peed his pants. Of course I peed my pants. Everybody my age pees their pants. It's the coolest. Really? Yes. You ain't cool unless you pee your pants. Wow. Hey, man. Ernie pees pants, too. All right. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. Oh, that was the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, it's, well, that's the greatest thing. Candace experience. didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then next thing you know, like all the kids had like wet their pants because Adam Sandler yeah. made it cool. It was awesome. Teacher's worst nightmare. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, the, the story I have is is sad, but it's something that... I've never seen actually backed with evidence. And anyways, I'll just get to it. There was a uh, pediatrician who was talking to like a fellow early childhood researcher. And she heard something that like really made her be like, wait, wait, what? That's a thing. And that was that child abuse spikes after report cards come out. Have you ever heard that? No. This uh, research scientist, um, you know, put together this team of people and they actually like, did the work. Um, they compared a year's worth of verified child abuse cases to the dates elementary school report cards were issued. And the researchers found that there is, is a correlation between report cards and child abuse. But it's only when grades come out on Fridays. And then the abuse happens on Saturdays is what they found. And they didn't find any abuse when the report cards came out during the week. They don't really have an answer as to why. But... I don't know. I mean, I guess we could hypothesize, but... I guess they're too busy during the week to get maybe, all fired up about maybe, it. Maybe, or it might be tied to drinking. Like, mm-hmm. you're more likely to have a parent who drinks and then they're still upset with their child. Or or maybe, I don't know about you, if I had a bad report card, 
I'll drop it like Sunday night. Like, hey, can you sign this? Um, you know, it's or so maybe they're they're finding out about it. You know, not on Friday because they want to go to the mall mm. or whatever kids do now. Um, and so then they're angry. The next and then day. Saturday, yeah, they find out. You know, I don't know. I really don't know the reason why. It could be a lot of different things. But I guess what was interesting was one that, and this was done. It was published in. Is it? I don't know if it's JAMA or JAMA Pediatrics. So I mean, this is like an official like pediatric type research back study. Um, and what's interesting is while they don't have all the answers as to why there's this correlation, they say if you just issue the report cards in the week, we think from our research that you won't have the abuse. Hmm. So it's worth pointing out. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of sad though. It, it is a little bit encouraging that, you know, you being in education for so long, you haven't heard that. That's no. good to hear. So. Yeah. And and right now is when report cards are out at, at my school. Do y'all issue on Friday? Do you know? Like, or is there really a, a method? Um, no, I feel like the, well, my sons came home Monday. Okay. So, so. they issued on Monday. Okay. I think, and in my school, I think issued on Monday. I don't have a child at my school. So it's like, did they go home in the backpacks? I'm not sure. But I know that for my personal child at the middle school, his came home Monday. If anyone's interested in this um, report and study and you want to dive deeper into the da- data, if you're just a data person, um, I will link that to the show notes. Are you ready for the bright idea? Yes. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is one of the leading minds when it comes to global education and learning through digital play. Dr. Jordan Shapiro is a professor at Temple University, and he has a brand new book titled The New Childhood. The book is getting a lot of buzz because he's making a case for kids and parents to embrace more screen time. Dr. Shapiro, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, The book, The New Childhood, has been featured on NPR, Forbes, USA Today, and it's getting so much attention because you're making this case that more screen time might be a good thing. And, And this is obviously against the grain of traditional thinking. So I'll just ask right out, what do you know that others don't? Well, well. For the first thing I know is is that I don't think much about uh, screen time in general. I don't. I don't. I, I never like that that term so much uh, for what we currently live in. You know, screen time is a word, a term that came out of the television age and uh, televisions and digital technology. They're really different things if you think about it, right? Television, the television screen we sit in front of, we sort of passively consume entertainment from it. Where 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 with these digital screens, we do so many different kinds of things. And so for me, the question is much less. Uh, uh, you know, whether screen time is good or bad, but more, how do we use these technologies that are now so deeply integrated into our lives? So, uh, you know, all of our lives, your life, my life, our kids' lives, what we need to do is, is, is recognize that those technologies are integrated into kids' lives and then teach them how to use them well. Uh, and this sort of question of uh, uh, how much time should they have on them or how much time should we restrict them from being on a, a phone or a tablet or a video game console, I, I just don't see how it does a service to kids who really need to learn how to, how to make the right decisions when it comes to screens and digital technology. I know you're um, somewhat of a thought leader in that world, but you also you have a background, I think, in philosophy and just history in general. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My PhD is actually in in psychology, um, but but when I was when I was doing it, I I, I studied very closely with a, a gentleman named Ed Casey, who's a, a pretty well known phenomenologist. So uh, that's sort of that's continental philosophy. And so you know, if I could go back now, I would get a philosophy degree instead. But but now I have a a a psychology degree with a philosophy dissertation. <laughs> Which leads me to my next question. Is there a technology that maybe came out 
100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, that people reacted to in a similar way we're reacting to to what the iPhone is doing to us? <laughs> you know, you know that's sort of like uh, um, um, asking... Uh, uh, you should ask it the other way. You should go, is there a technology where that where that didn't happen? I'm not sure there were any where that didn't happen. Uh, there's so so many examples that, that, that I found just when doing research for the book. You know, for example, even even books. When books came out, there was a, there was a huge... Uh, you know, when the printing press was invented and, and they started to bind books that people could take home, there was this huge sort of backlash that um that 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 it would become too isolated or private an activity right because stories had already had always been told communally right whether that's around a campfire or in church or 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 whatever but 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 everyone said well now people are going to just be in a cocoon and 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 never talk and of course that that is true that is what happened to some extent um another example i often give is uh um is uh, is I use the train because uh, because I like that there's that I can find physicians and neuroscientists when the train came out warning parents not to let their kids uh, go sit by the window on the train because the images go by so fast and, and the human brain is not capable of taking in things at that speed and that they should be really careful that they don't get brain damage. Um, and so, so, I mean, those are two examples that I sort of love because they sound so absurd to us now. But I, I think you can probably, my guess is in every, in any technology, you're going to see this resistance. And the reason, you know, is, is not just, hey, we don't like change, right? It's more that, I, at least from my perspective, you know, humans, we, we mediate our entire experience through tools. That's what we do. That's what we've always done, right? Even language is a kind of a tool that we use to shape how we think about things, how we see things, how we interact with things. And so, so a, a, a big transformational technology like like digital media for example right not o- not only changes our everyday experiences but it's also going to change how we see the world um uh, and, and so it's not at all surprising that that people would go wait this is sort of uh dissonant with the current view that i have you um encourage people to do something that i've i've been doing and i, I almost felt am i doing the right thing and and that is you encourage parents to play video games with their kids that's absolutely um um, in fact you know that's where that's where all my work on video games started is i started to play with my own kids and and uh the reason that i started was i I had separated from my then wife uh and i was worried about the kids right there they were little and they were they were going through something that was you know it was so it was hard enough on me i couldn't imagine how hard it would be on, on them to go through such a giant a giant shift in their normal life uh and and i wanted to like you know how can i be with them how can i spend time with them how can i create opportunities for them to to talk about the, th- the things that they're feeling, and I thought, okay, I could tell them to come outside and hike, or I, uh, but but they're going to just f- hear that as why do I have to stop playing video games? So I said, okay, instead I'll sit next to them on the couch and play the video games with them, and that gave me the opportunity to talk about so many other things because we were just sort of sitting next to each other playing. At first, I was sort of tricking them into having the hard conversations, but then I discovered that I could actually have those conversations even better if I started to use the language of the game, right? If I started to use vocabulary from Mario Brothers, if I started to go, you know, when you're so angry and you just want to stomp on a Koopa Troopa, right? Uh, I mean, they were really little then, so I could use those kinds of uh, uh, analogies. But, But what I realized was happening, and this is where the book, The New Childhood, comes from, is that that I was also teaching them how to create narratives about their digital life at the same time, right? It was both using the digital world to help them make sense of their non-digital life, and I was also preparing them to actually have a much more stable and healthy relationship to their digital world. 
I mean, I mean, do you find that anyone who has a teenage uh, son or, or even daughter, um, they might play some video games that are somewhat violent at times. Do you think it's the right thing to do is rather than say, turn it off, don't play that is maybe play that game with them and have a conversation about the violence that they're playing just to kind of separate what's real and what's not? I mean, in an ideal world, yes, but you're talking about teenagers and, I, and I, my oldest is 13 now and I can tell you that, that he rarely wants to play with me. Um uh, uh, he doesn't like when I come to his video games. Plus, I'm not good enough at his video games to play with him. But but uh, but I will <laughs> often sit down with him and ask questions about the games that he's playing. Right? What, wait, what is this game? How does it work? Um, why 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 is this going on? You know, when they were a little bit younger, when they sort of first had their introduction to violent games, I kept them away from violent games for a long time, mostly because I wasn't prepared to talk about it. Not because I was sort of worried about what they would see, but more I knew that I would have to I would have to think about how to have a conversation with them about what they were seeing. But once I decided they were at an age where I was comfortable doing that, I sat down with them and I, and I, I, I said, wait, I don't understand. Why is it fun to shoot people? Right? I don't get it. Why, why, why is that a fun thing for you to do? I, I don't get why that's play. Uh, and, and I sort of forced them to, to come up with some answers. And of course, it's really hard to answer that question. And who knows why it's fun? You know, it's target practice. We, we used to play duck hunt when I was a kid. You know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with this. But forcing them to have that conversation, and, and we've done that conversation many times since, means that they're not sort of blindly uh, living through an experience, right? I know that they have my voice in the back of their head when they turn on a new game going, wait, why is this violence so gory? Uh, why would this be fun? And if they were doing that kind of reflection while playing, then I don't think we have anything to worry about. What we have to worry about is kids going through sort of violent imagery with no reflection. Was it these conversations that was that the catalyst for the new childhood, your book? Uh, that was some of the catalyst. I mean, I mean, I was already writing a lot about them when those conversations started. The, the catalyst to the book really became after writing blogs and articles and 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 giving speeches for for a few years about it. I said, you know, I really need to lay out this argument in a, in a long form way, in a way where where I can really really show it all the way through because there's so many threads to it. There's both a thread about sort of the 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 long. Uh, the long arc of history and how technology plays into us as a civilization. There's a thread about, uh, you know, what we know about how play shapes the developmental experience of young people. Uh, there's, there's, there's a thread about, you know, how, how do you make sense of a world of predictive algorithms and privacy concerns? All these things needed to come together. And, and while I had done little bits of them in, in articles, I really wanted to bring them together into a full, full argument. So that, that was really, really the beginning of, of, of the book. You have a thread about encouraging kids to to start on social media at a younger age. What type of pushback have you received about that? You know, it's interesting. Everyone sort of first looks at me like I'm crazy, but then by the time I'm done talking about it, they 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 they, they agree. And 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 I think I've got it. I've got know how to make the argument really quickly now, which is just just if you think about the things we're really worried about happening on social media, the idea that we would start kids doing that when they become when they when they enter puberty, when all those things are the things they want to do is just absurd, right? You, you, you need like, like I want my kids on social media before they think about sex, before they think about it, while they want to listen to everything I say, while they want to act like dad, that's the time to do it. Not right at the moment where we know they're going to ignore everything dad says. Do you envision children today um, having, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this, having such a leg up because of the fact that they have this powerful computer in their hand at all times that they're going to be 
almost like skip a generation in terms of smarts uh, that that maybe our generation didn't and our parents didn't have. It's like if you want information, it's there. Do you, are they utilizing that tool in their hand enough to where they're just going to be super smart kids? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a, there, there's part of the premise of your question that I, I, I really do agree with. And I've seen it in, in my own college classroom it is a level of sophistication among kids that's just, you know, um, levels above what I had at their age, right? Just because of the access of information, right? I was still trying to learn how to go to the library and find the things I wanted, and, and they just always have right. the things they want. Um, but I'm not sure that means they're smarter, right? That that's that that the 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 onus is on the grownups to make sure that 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 what happens with that level of content and information sophistication becomes what we would consider smart or wise. Or, or ethical or moral, right? Uh, um, and, and I think all those things have to happen together. And for me, that means we really, as grownups, need to think about how are we going to teach them to use what's 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 at their disposal, right? How are we going to teach them to think about uh, uh, you know meaningful ways to 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 grab from this information database that's so <laughs> that's so accessible uh, you know how do they bring things together what kinds of ideas do we value what kinds of uses do we value and what kinds do we do we find problematic you know I think we're living at a time where we see a lot of problematic uses of technology especially social media um, um, uh, well not just social media e- even among uh, among some uh, some of the the companies and the marketers right we see a lot of things that I think a lot of us go well we don't know how we feel about that and I think the real goal is making sure we've taught our kids to live with these technologies in, in a way that matches our values. Um, um, and that, and that I think we're missing at this point. So I can't say, I think they're way ahead. I mean, there's days where I'm like, Oh, they might get further behind. They may have all this information and no wisdom if we don't do anything to, to do, to, to, to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, yeah. And our audience, our listening audience is mainly K through 12 teachers. So should, should teachers reevaluate the way they teach? I mean, when I was in school, it was, you know, this happened on this date and and you're just kind of learning content and information stuff. That's now, you know, a Siri question away. Um, (laughs) Should teachers maybe think, you know, I need to teach them how to access the information rather than teach them the information. I, I don't know if the question is how to access the information. They're pretty good at that. They're, you know, that's sort of like the skill of of working the machine. But I don't know. I don't think that's what you meant. Uh, more, more. What do you do with it once you've accessed it, or what kind of things to access? Right. What questions to ask. Google or Siri or Alexa, right? All right. How do you, well, like, like, like it's not as simple as just everything's there. You know, I often think, you know, teachers really need to concentrate, um, you know, from the, from a content question, I would say on, on what's not Googleable. Um, um, and, and that's a, that's something I use a lot in my own classroom is just sort of say, okay, write me a paper about this, but make sure you don't put anything in it that's Googleable, right? Uh, you, <laughs> that sounds really hard to do. It seems like everything's Googleable, you know. Yeah, but we, you know, their facts are Googleable, but 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 the the ability to take those facts and put them together into a meaningful order is not Googleable. Um, I mean, you can Google play other people who have done that, and you can find examples of where that's been done, but but Google can't do it. Um, um, uh, I mean, Google can put it together in a meaningful order if we think you know most relevant result equals meaningful order. That that's not what I mean. You know, how do you take these things and make an argument? That's sort of how I would deal with the, the, the question of facts and things. But I think there's even a, a, a deeper thing that teachers should think about, which is almost everything that happens in school. And I talk about this in, in the new childhood. Uh, uh, you know, There's a whole section about this. So many of the things we do in school are connected to specific technologies, whether we realize it or not, they're connected to technological errors and economic models. Um, 
And, and so I think we really need to think about whether whether we're teaching kids how to use today's tools to 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 make their lives fulfilled and productive and smart and make themselves employable, or are they using future tools? I mean, one example I give all the time is, uh, uh, you know, I I remember when my kids were really little. Um, already in like in in like a kindergarten first grade math class they're already doing so much sorting right they're sorting they're sorting magic markers they're sorting they're sorting uh i forget what those logs are called those little wooden blocks uh i can't uh, cuisinaire logs kids are sorting these right and this is basic early math how do you sort things and go hey how many how many blue ones do i have how many yellow ones do i have how many red ones i have and i would watch them and i go but I don't understand why we don't, while we're not already having them put that into a spreadsheet, right? Why aren't they already entering that into Excel and then seeing it visualized, right? Uh, there's no reason they can't do that early. Um, and, and that gets them to start to think about how to use a database, which which is one of our most powerful mathematical tools among among grown-up mathematicians, right? Among, among PhD mathematicians, right? They could already be starting to see the math problems in their world, in a way that they enter into these kinds of these kinds of tools, um, and 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 I would like to see more of that kind of stuff, which isn't a huge change from what happens. It's just sort of the addition of another kind of thinking. With your thinking and what you're you're writing about in the new childhood, do you hear a, a whole lot of other, uh, I guess, thought leaders uh, kind of talking the way that you are? It seems to me like I haven't heard a whole lot of this. <laughs> there's a there's a few um but there, but there's not a lot you're right um um and i think that 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 you know you hear a lot about sort of hey it's the fourth industrial revolution and what do they need to what do, what do kids need to be prepared for jobs that don't exist yet um and and i you know i'm glad that people are having that di- that discussion that's the right discussion but i think often also when we even when we say how do we think about kids being prepared for jobs that don't exist we're we're already sort of stuck in a uh, in an industrial era narrative of, of how does school prepare them for jobs rather than how does school prepare them with these sort of um, civic values that we need to, to, to make sure our society matches the kind of world we want them to live in, right? I used to, you know, people used to always say, how do we prepare our kids for a world that doesn't exist? We also need to ask, how do we prepare the world for our kids? It's true. It's true. Well, the book is The New Childhood, Dr. Jordan Shapiro. Uh, we appreciate your time. Do you have um, a place you like people to connect with you at? Are you big on Twitter or Instagram or anything? I'm pretty, I'm pretty active on Twitter so uh, and Instagram, but, but Twitter, 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 I'll respond. Uh, um, you know, assuming I'm not, I'm not traveling or speaking or in the classroom, I, I'm, it's, it's usually open and, I, and I'm pretty quick to respond if you reach out to me on Twitter. What's your handle there? Do you know offhand? Yes, at Jordosh, J-O-R-D-O-S-H. All right, Dr. Jordan Shapiro, are you ready for our pop quiz? Yeah, I'm nervous. All right. <laughs> if students could go to school for only one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, <laughs> recess. Re- re- really? Okay. You got to back that up then. You have to back it up. Yeah, I will back that up because because you know I think the the most important thing they're getting is the socialization, right? Um, it, it, you know, certainly they need all the knowledge. I'm not trying to do. To, I don't want to diminish everything, but if you're really gonna tell me they only get to to be in school with for, for like one hour a day, I'm like, well, let's make sure they spend lots of time learning how to play and work and resolve conflicts with other with other people. Um, because honestly, every other subject is about how to use a language. Like whether that language is math or science or history or English or or physics, right? In order to get along with other people. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? 
Uh, well, I could say recess for that one too. You know, there are a lot of a lot of schools in the U.S. right now are down to like 20, 20 minutes of recess. But I won't use the same answer twice. Um, you know, some are, but I, I think there does there needs to be uh, more philosophy in in, in school. Um, um, and I don't mean sort of classic philosophy. I don't mean so much like, hey, our kids need to be learning Greek and Latin and Plato and, and Aristotle. Although I think they should. Um, but I, I more mean this sort of teach them that that they are capable of autonomous thinking that their ideas are good that most of what uh that most of what we uh learn from 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 previous thinkers is is how is structures that we can use in order to arrive at our own thoughts not not just uh not not just oh now i know what that guy thought once what does every child deserve dignity um, yeah, dignity would be my immediate answer there. And, and, and then the question becomes, of course, what do I mean by dignity? And I think, you know, the ability to, to, to be autonomous, to have agency, to think for yourself, to make your own decisions, to, to be well fed, to be healthy, uh, you know, all of the, all of these things are, are sort of basic dignity questions. Um, and I, and, and, and that's what, that's what every child deserves. And, and still we have, we haven't even come cl- Well, maybe we've come close, but, but we're very far away from providing that to, to, to every child in the world. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I, I, th- I think it's making the distinction between what is uh, essential knowledge, what are, what are the essential parts uh, of, of the human experience that we want to prepare our kids for, and what is just the fashion of the times. And being able to distinguish that, those two things, it's often hard for us to recognize that, that, that things that were only around for 100 years or 200 years uh, are, not, are not what we're really after preserving. And we start to preserve sort of the objects and the artifacts of a specific time and place rather rather than the essential things that matter. What's the best gift to give an educator? The best gift to time off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 but, but I guess maybe also just, just respect. I think so, so many, and that's sort of the same answer. I think so many people sort of have this image that, that, that working 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., especially K to 12 educators, right? Working 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. and having the summers off is easy without realizing how much other work happens. Um, uh, um, and I don't just mean other time, which certainly happens, the amount of time for planning uh, lessons and the amount of time that they, uh, that they just give students for, for nothing, but, but also the, the sort of emotional weight. I mean, I mean, could you, uh, it's so hard for me just having my own two kids to deal with watching their struggles, watching their emotional problems. So, so when I see like educators who really care so deeply about 30 students at a time for an entire year and go through all of those students ups and downs, I mean, that must take a, an enormous amount uh, of emotional fortitude. Which teacher changed your life? Oh, so many teachers changed my life. Um, but but there's one who happens to be on my mind today because his brother just died today or died yesterday. So I guess I'll, I'll use him as an example. Um, um, I, I, I was fortunate when I was in uh, 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 when I was in college actually to study with uh, Adolphus Meckes and his brother Jonas just just died. Adolphus has been has, has passed away a few years ago. Um, and he was a, a very well-known avant-garde filmmaker. Um, and what I found in all the time that I spent with him was sort of this deep, deep understanding of how you combine humor 
and intellectual rigor and aesthetics and uh, and and just compassion and, and, and kindness into everything you do you know um, which which sounds a little a little hokey the way I said it but the one I would keep in mind is, is, are the two that we often leave out which are the aesthetics and the humor um, you know just just learning that you always need to be able to laugh at yourself a little and you sometimes do things just because they're pretty and last question pen or pencil uh, pen. I'm a, I'm a big fan fan of uh, of fountain pens, even, um, um, and especially in the in in our current world. You know, sometimes people tease me. They'll go, "That's that's so hipster of you to have a have a fountain pen." <laughs> and 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 I'm like, "But you know what? In a world where I actually don't need to write on paper, right? Like 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 I have so many devices that allow me to take notes or write things. Like writing is purely a pleasure that I do. So why not do it in the way that's most pleasurable for me? And why not overdo it in the way that's most pleasurable?" For, for, for me, because if, if it's really just about a convenient way of taking notes, honestly, my laptop does it much better. Again, the book is The New Childhood. It's available on Amazon and probably uh, any bookstore that you uh, stick your head into. Uh, Dr. Jordan Shapiro, we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Great questions. It's a pleasure to be here. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. Go and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.